Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Busby Babes Rooney Rewind Podcast. This week I'm joined by Paul Ansorge of United Rant and the United Rant Cast uh, Podcast. Uh, Paul joins me to discuss Rooney's roles throughout his Manchester United career and uh, the position as well as playmaking role that he played in each of the United teams in his time at Old Trafford. And so thanks for tuning in and be sure to also check out the Busby Babes preseason recap, which came out earlier this week and keep an eye out for season preview content, uh, which will start going up next week, uh, leading up to Manchester United's opener against Chelsea at Old Trafford. Uh, again, thanks for listening and please enjoy episode eight of Rooney Rewind. Rooney and Ronaldo wait in the center. Rooney! Yeah, I'm recording and it is recording and it's the right microphone, so it's all good. Awesome. Those are all good things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. This is Colin uh, from the Busby Bay back with another Rooney Rewind episode. And today I'm joined by Paul Ansorge of the United Rant and Rant cast. How's it going, Paul? Uh, really good. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here to talk about Wayne Rooney in a vaguely positive sense for the first time in about five years. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, uh, I had um, the past two episodes were going over the Van Gaal and the uh, Jose Mourinho seasons. So it's very nice to go back to a format uh, talking about some positives from Wayne Rooney's Manchester United career. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so today on this episode, we'll be going over Wayne Rooney's roles at Manchester United. So the positions that he was playing, but also, I guess, what we saw from the instructions he may have been given, uh, given his strike partners, because a big part of Wayne Rooney's Manchester United career was his relationship with his strike partners. And he was very famously a good teammate uh, as a striker, uh, not just be- for his goal scoring and providing, but uh, for the work he did off the ball as well. Oh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, and you know, potentially we could say to his detriment to a certain extent, although I'm not, I've never been quite convinced by that argument because I... I actually think, for the most part, being less selfish suited him better. Even though, obviously, the in terms of raw numbers, he was at his best when he was kind of in, instructed to play really selfishly as a number nine. But I, I do think he his most magical periods weren't when he was, you know, banging in 25 goals a season or whatever. His most magical moments were when he was inter, interchanging with, Rooney and uh, with Ronaldo and Tevez and etc. Yeah, I, I guess it, <laughs> it, it's a bit more understandable that anyone would be more successful in that a team that's built like that. But it, I think it does speak to his quality a little bit that he was able to step up to the, the way that he did in those few years after Ronaldo left. Uh, yeah, I'm not talking about quality or um, it, it, you know you said like any, anyone would be better in that team, and I think I think that's true, mm-hmm. but. 
or more successful in that team. But just from a purely personal level, he was more successful without them, wasn't he? I mean, he scored Mm -hmm. absolute hatfuls of goals once Ferguson was like, no, you are the number nine now once Ronaldo left. But I think his best function in the side was was as a kind of as the kind of number one supporting actor really Mm -hmm. yeah and he was definitely a player when his legs would allow him to to that would put in the work uh you know off the ball running around and you know driving defenses crazy with the amount of energy that he had especially as a younger player well we've seen we saw in for dc dc united the uh like few months ago that even though he doesn't have any legs anymore he still puts in insane work yeah yeah that that one uh last season he ran down uh it was a counter-attack off of a corner that dc united had taken and he was the you know the man standing back he chased down the defender won the ball back and sent it back in for the winning goal genuinely like that's my favorite wayne rooney moment since the overhead kick i think (laughs) yeah all right, so uh, we're going to go ahead and dive into the first era, which I've labeled Raw Talent Rooney. Yeah. I mean, I remember when we signed him, I, this is really going to date me and Ed, but everyone knows we're old, so it's fine. Um, <laughs> we were talking on MSN Messenger, and I vividly remember this conversation where Ed said to me, well we were able to spend 30 million on a teenager because we're such a well-run club, which is so heartbreaking when you think about it because it was absolutely true at the time and is so profoundly untrue now. I mean, we are able to spend 30 million on whoever we like, but I mean, 30 million on a teenager then. And you remember when we were going to sign Lucas Moura and Fergie was giving it the old, oh, 30 million for a teenager's outrageous. It's like, you literally 10 years ago (laughs) spent 30 million on a teenager or five years ago or whatever it was at the time. Yeah. And I I wasn't fully aware at the time. I was nine years old when he signed for Manchester United yep. but I was aware of Wayne Rooney through YouTube videos right uh, we didn't we didn't have access to the, watching the Premier League yet at my house but I was aware of you know some of the best players through YouTube or for through videos on the internet at the time yeah I, I was gonna say that's watching you, his you're young but you're not young enough to have had YouTube at nine years old Colin <laughs> <laughs> well what I don't, I don't even know if youtube was actually around in 2004 but whatever video i was able to watch his goal against arsenal yeah uh, for everton yeah i mean and, I, I i vividly i was listening to the radio i remember the remember the name wayne rooney commentary from much of the day that night and and you know obviously i have remembered the name ever since but the the thing that was mind-blowing about rooney was um the European Championships in uh, 2004. It was just, I mean, so it's just before we signed him, right? If I've got my timeline right. Mm -hmm. But he was the most exciting English player I'd ever seen in my life. Like he was, Gascoigne was amazing, but the level of excitement around Rooney, the hat-trick that he scored in the second game, I think it was against Croatia. I, I, I remember what I was doing i remember exactly where i was i remember talking to my dad about it he was very sort of skeptical about england rightly so and i was saying no like listen this kid is actually the real deal just like i've heard it before it's like no nope, he really is and then he scored a hat trick felt very vindicated and the injury that he got in that tournament really did derail england's tournament entirely and and 
You know, he never really lost his status as talismanic for England from 2004, even though he kind of probably should have lost it a lot sooner than he did. Um, but everyone just held on to that incredible 2004 moment. So when he signed for United, I mean, I, I was just buzzing off my head because, like you say, raw talent is the the raw talent almost does a disservice to how good he was because mm-hmm. it didn't feel like there was that much raw about him. I mean, there was a raw kind of energy and a raw, you know, there was a raw aggression and an edge to his game and all of those things. But in terms of his ability on the ball, like he was polished from the start. I mean, obviously we all know, right? Hat-trick on in his first game ever for United in the Champions League, his first Champions League game, just, yeah, I'm just going to bang in a hat-trick. He he was really ready for the big time immediately, basically. Yeah, he talks in his first book about that summer of getting injured and then having to wait so long to come back while all of this is going and, you know, life-changing decisions about his transfer request and then going to Manchester United. He was linked with Newcastle. Uh, as well, and Manchester United were the ones that outbid them, or they were the ones willing to pay the thirty million for a teenager. Yeah, and then his first game, he comes on and scores like three, or scores those three goals. I think he gets an assist as well, and he talks about this confidence that he had at from the Euros and how it just you know stuck with him that because that was his first game since he broke his foot. Yeah, uh, was was those three goals he scored. So I, I guess it's understandable that he was already in that mindset of being ready for that sort of stage because he'd just come from this, you know, groundbreaking tournament performance as a teenager. Yeah, absolutely. And playing in a team with Ruud van Nistelrooy in it, who's obviously going to snaffle up a lot of goal-scoring opportunities, he scored 17 goals that season in all competitions, which is mm-hmm. a vast amount. Like, I mean, he played... 37, he made 37 starts, six substitute appearance, scored 17 goals. And I've, we haven't got assist data, but there were a lot of assists in that as well, yeah. you know. Yeah, and he sort of develops this partnership with Ruud van Nistelrooy. And that, as you said, somebody who's, you know, a very classic striker who likes to take up all the opportunities and he's a crash in the box as well. And Rooney was sort of this, I guess, if you were going to pair a young striker with Ruud van Nistelrooy, I think you would want to pick Wayne Rooney because of the work he did off the ball. And you saw it in a lot of the goals that he linked up with Ruud van Nistelrooy for that, you know, some of them he's winning the ball back in midfield and charging through. I mean, imagine you're Ruud van Nistelrooy. You would hand pick Wayne Rooney <laughs> to play with you because it's just like, oh, yeah, OK, I'm going to get a completely selfless relentlessly hard-working kid who's perfectly prepared to pass me the ball anytime now I, I guess um uh, Vanish Roy had some injury problems in the 0405 season because he only made mm-hmm. uh, 16 Premier League starts and only scored six goals which is a extraordinarily low number so maybe there were some teething problems to the partnership but uh, by by the following season you know Vanish Roy was scoring 21 in 28. Um, so it was it was obviously working pretty quick, pretty well. Yeah, and it, I suppose it's a bit ironic that this was also sort of the signal that would eventually lead to Ruud van Nistelrooy's departure yep. uh, for Real Madrid because Ferguson was making his team younger, and I I certainly didn't think at the time, you know, only being 10, 11 years old, that Ruud van Nistelrooy would be one of the people on the chopping block. But I guess his attitude towards... Uh, I guess particularly starting Luis Aha over him, I guess in that Carlin Cup final was the final straw. But 
Yeah, it was. You know, it was all about Ronaldo. That though, that's that's kind of Rooney. He's definitely a bit part player in that story. I mean, and the kind of Rooney, mm-hmm. Rooney and Ronaldo axis that becomes the the center of United's attack. You know, and possibly, possibly the fulcrum of the best United side ever. Although certainly not the side I love the most. I think you'd have to argue it's it's probably the best United side ever. Um, but the I think. If Ronaldo had never arrived, Rooney and Van Nistelrooy could have coexisted for, you know, five more years, probably. Um, but it was it was that kind of switch from Beckham on the right to Ronaldo on the right that just completely did for for Van Nistelrooy. And also, I think on a very on a personal level, I mean, I, essentially, Van Nistelrooy was sold because of his behaviour towards Ronaldo in training, where mm. instead of being supportive and you know, adopting what you would, uh, in a pure cliche way, describe as the kind of united mentality. Um, and certainly the Ferguson era mentality of no one's bigger than the club. Van Nistelrooy definitely had a massive ego. And there's, you know, Fergie tells a story of of a few years later, Van Nistelrooy ringing him like really early one morning and being like, I've just been up all night. I'm just really sorry for how I behaved in that last period of my United career, you know. Just really quickly, I think that would be a great podcast idea is nailing down exactly what the United Way is so we can have it in writing <laughs> for whenever we need to reference it. Uh, but but yeah, this this era of, I guess, a little bit uncertainty because Jose Mourinho's Chelsea were dominating the Premier League for two seasons. And the sort of pivot to Rooney and Ronaldo from a side that looked like it had the experience and the youth to continue suddenly loses not just Ruud van Nistelrooy, but Roy Keane as well. Yeah. Uh, uh, which, uh, hold which on. Of course hold is on. A, I just need yeah. to compose myself because you yeah, mentioned very it, sad things. <laughs> <laughs> T- take your time, Paul. <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, well, it's, it was an ugly departure for a club legend. It was, I, uh, you, you talk about this with uh, Neil Brennan on Roy Keane versus I think you both address it really well the the two perspectives of Sir Alex Ferguson and Roy Keane but it, I guess in the context of this what one thing you said on that podcast was Ferguson's trajectory was correct yeah was, absolutely was pivoting towards this younger team uh, focused around Rooney and Ronaldo yeah I mean this this is the thing that the, the Roy Keane departure I just wish it had been different emotionally in terms of the reality of Keane needing to leave United or certainly United needing a sort of fundamental rebuild, I think that's absolutely correct. And if you even just look at the direction of football over the next 10 years, the switch from Roy Keane to Michael Carrick. And I like Michael Carrick, but he's, but you know, Roy Keane is in my all time world 11. <laughs> and Michael Carrick <laughs> certainly isn't. But in terms of the style of football and the development of football, you know, even just that simple switch is is absolutely right. But in terms of what it what it meant about Rooney, you know, Ferguson's faith in Rooney was absolute, wasn't it? You know, he 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 knew that Rooney would be prepared not to play always at number ten or always at number nine. He he knew that he would be. You know, he played wide left so often, didn't he? I mean, I say wide left. Let's say in theory, ostensibly wide left, because that's the most fluid front three in United's history, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, he... Ferguson knew 
that Rooney, somehow he knew that Rooney would be prepared also to not have his nose put out of joint when Ronaldo started playing through the centre and all of that kind of thing. And it's it's a sort of remarkable period, really. I wonder whether Rooney being so young helped with that. Um, although, of course, Ronaldo was also young. But in terms of ego management, you're obviously going to have to placate Ronaldo more than Rooney, certainly from the like, external public perception of it. Yeah, and something we kind of talked about on a previous episode, I was, you know, despite the enormous amount of attention worldwide that Cristiano Ronaldo was starting to get as he emerged as what we now realize one of the two best players of all time, he didn't necessarily have the same sort of attention on him that the English media put on Bruni uh, at such a young age. No, not not even close. I mean, you know, Ronaldo's United trajectory was when he made his debut, everyone suddenly thought, wait a minute, this kid could end up being one of the best players of all time. And then lots of people... I mean, if you had polled United fans in the summer of 2005, who would you rather keep, Rooney or Ronaldo? I'm sure it would have been in the 90% keep Rooney. I'm I'm sure of that at that time. Yeah. Good thing Twitter didn't exist in 2005. I mean, you can just always say it was a good thing Twitter didn't exist before it existed, and then it's a bad thing that Twitter exists. And it will be good again when Twitter doesn't it finally doesn't exist, if that ever comes. No, it'll be good again when you're back on it, Paul. <laughs> no way. No way. I, I, I'm trying to encourage everyone else to get off it. That's <laughs> It's a bad medium doing bad things. Yeah. So... Back to the Rooney conversation, and yes. this, this Rooney-Ronaldo era, and particularly the formations, uh, as you talked about, this very fluid attacking three, especially when Carlos Tevez comes in, because Luis Saha, as brilliant as he was, just couldn't stay fit, uh, which is really unfortunate to see, but Carlos Tevez, another sort of, you know, 100% effort player alongside Ronaldo and Rooney, and in an era when the formation, I, when you saw it at the beginning of the match, when they put it on the screen, it didn't necessarily reflect what you would see in the match, almost. No. Because Ronaldo would be listed as the right winger, but he'd play anywhere on the front line for the entire 90 minutes. Absolutely. And and it's a kind of fascinating subject in general, because we're only sort of a few years removed from United fans chanting 4-4-2 at Fergie. Kieros comes in and when we were playing um, Van Nistelrooy up front on his own in that sort of mid-2000s lull that, that you know you referenced um, on our podcast that, that you know there was a lot of dissatisfaction about United moving away from playing with two strikers um, and of course then but, but essentially we play what is in all, to all intents and purposes a 4-3-3 with a front three that switch positions but Rooney is not really playing centrally through much of that. Either Ronaldo or Tevez are the ones who are ostensibly playing at centre-forward. There was one, one thing that I meant to say as well. You mentioned Jose Mourinho's Chelsea um, being such a an important force. In, and, you know, Rooney felt like a huge part of us wrestling back the, the title from them. You know, it, it was... He was the emerging force. He was the sort of, in a way, I think his signature more than Ronaldo's was the thing that started to to turn the ship around. So Ronaldo had signed the season before, if, if I've got my maths right, 
Yeah. Um, the 0304 was his first season. Yeah, and that, that, you know, he was such a kind of young pretender at that point and almost a bit too showboaty, and it didn't feel like he was going to change things dramatically. But Rooney coming along really did feel like, oh, wait a minute, this might might actually start to pretty dramatically shift the direction that United went in. I remember I didn't used to go very often in those days, but one game that I was absolutely uh, blessed to be at by weird coincidence was the game where he scored the goal against Newcastle. And, oh wow! you know, that's the most extraordinary thing I've ever seen live in a on, in a football match live um it was just absolutely breathtaking um we were we were sat um in what is now the Alex Ferguson stand almost directly in line with where he hit it and you couldn't see live it wasn't obvious that it was a volley because he struck it quite low to the ground so i when i when i picture the scene in my head i sort of see him hit the ball off the ground and then going home and watching it on tv that night on match of the day and just being like Oh my god! I'm going to be talking about how I was there. Well, in 16 years down the line on a podcast, <laughs> it definitely felt amazing to be there. Yeah, that I I guess the sort of uh, we talk about the effort that he shows off the ball, but the will that Rooney had <laughs> to it, it was like he willed that goal into the net because he was channeling all of his frustration into his foot at that point. Absolutely, Ed Ed just turned to me and said that is a goal from pure anger because he was like screaming at the referee then scored Mm -hmm. then started screaming again (laughs) like it was amazing it was absolutely amazing and and in terms of role you know not not necessarily in terms of uh you know position and that sort of thing but role in a more general sense of like role in terms of his impact on the team around him and what his kind of function in that group was you know he was he was a spark a kind of electricity a kind of a kind of bubbling anger a, a something that could suddenly change everything around him you know start to bend it to his will he definitely had that role in a team that wasn't necessarily full of players like that in the way that certainly like in 99 you were it was packed with players who could suddenly change a game by 2003 or 2004 sorry he was absolutely crucial he was one of one of only a couple that could do that really at that time yeah and he had already i i guess on paper as well as or maybe not in terms of silverware but on paper he was definitely living up to those expectations and responsibilities in his first two seasons in terms of production absolutely we see this in 2006 2007 both he and ronaldo step up and you know, take on the responsibility of, you know, carrying United to a Premier League title. And it's I it's an enormous amount of pressure, you know, realistically, when Sir Alex Ferguson goes up to to twenty, twenty one year olds and say, You're you're my guys, you know, this is your year. Yeah. But it's a and it, I guess it realistically it would be really hard to fulfill that. I think anyone's mindset maybe not may not be able to comprehend that Sir Alex Ferguson is telling you and putting this trust in you. But in another sense, how could you not fulfill it at that point that, you know, you're, you're so young and this someone who is already regarded as one of the greatest managers of all time is putting that much trust in you. Absolutely. And, and, you know, this is, 
I know we're talking about Rooney really, but this is Ferguson's greatness because there are lots of different ways of putting trust in people. And I think that Fergie did it by making people feel 10 foot tall much more than... And, you know, he he treated Rooney and Ronaldo quite differently. He would he would scream at Rooney and I don't think he would scream at Ronaldo because it, it probably wouldn't work. What's fascinating about that season, if if you consider that the season after that, the goal split is... In all competitions, the goal split is 42 to Ronaldo and 18 to Rooney. In... In um, 06-07, they score exactly 23 goals each. So they were like properly equal partners in terms of production in that season. And again, I think literally then in, in the summer of 2007, if you had taken a poll and said Rooney or Ronaldo, people would still absolutely have been saying Rooney. Yeah, that it was also interesting that it was... Despite the same production that season, uh, I guess worldwide, it was Ronaldo still getting the attention despite Wayne Rooney at that time still being technically his equal. Uh, and he finished second in Ballon d'Or voting, I think, that year, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, before winning it, uh, obviously, the next season when he scored 42. Yeah, but that this is the kind of years, calendar years versus seasons thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because, yeah, that's true. Because the 2007 Ballon d'Or had the first half of the 2007-8 season taken into account. And also, would there have been... No, there was no international football that summer. But anyway, it's... Yeah. I, I think it was... I think it was... In, in 06-07, I don't remember thinking, oh, Ronaldo's about to score 40 goals next season. Certainly, yeah. like, he's no more likely to do that than Rooney would have been to do that. Yeah. Do you think that he scores those 42 that season without Wayne Rooney? Oh, I mean, well, the answer to that question is clearly yes, because he's scored a million goals in 900,000 yeah. games since, or whatever it is. So, yeah, he's fine. He, he's all right, and he can he can probably cope with just about whoever yeah. you put alongside him. But yeah, I, he knew where the goal was by that point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but I do think... Um, you know, he's always had, like, if you look at Benzema's role at Real Madrid, for example, you know, you look at Benzema's goal-scoring tally with and without Ronaldo, he he, he served some of the same function, didn't he? Um, mm-hmm. So clearly, like, Rooney was part of why Rooney's selflessness definitely enabled Ronaldo to just play through the middle and, you know, and United to be, like I said earlier, the... I, I'm... These are not players that I have phenomenal affection for in the same way as as yeah. the teams of the nineties. But um, but I, I think you know if you if you actually were able to play a a, a mini tournament between I've been watching a lot of cricket, so like a trilateral series between sixty eight, ninety nine, and two thousand and eight. I think two thousand and eight would probably walk it. Although ninety nine would somehow find a way to win because of miracles, but yeah, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Well, if sixty eight is getting sixty eight, George Best, then <laughs> they, they, I think they've got a shot. Uh, they have, and and you'd have to do something to adjust the fitness levels, wouldn't you? Um, yeah. So yeah. So, well, then they would they would object if you t- cut out the cigarettes and the drink. <laughs> <laughs> Quite possibly. Although Rooney would have been like, "Oh, lads, this this is amazing! <laughs> what?" <laughs> <laughs> and then we'd be caught in this weird time vortex where Rooney's trying to go back with them. <laughs> <laughs> hey, love, I want to go and party with George. 
Uh, anyway, <laughs> that was a fun little uh, side note. Uh, I forgot what we were talking about. Uh, we were talking about, you asked the question, what seems like a long time ago, uh, would, would Ronaldo have scored all those goals without Rooney? What do you think? Right. The, the, yeah, the reason I asked that is because I feel like Rooney's contributions are possibly a little bit overlooked in those three years, but particularly that season that, you know, this, the freedom of the front three, particularly with Carlos Tevez is really accentuated by the goal scoring but team-wide that season, not just Cristiano Ronaldo. Although I think we definitely see him as an individual develop into the player that we know him as now. I'm not sure that he gets there, I guess, without Sir Alex and without Wayne Rooney. Because I think Wayne Rooney's willingness to play the role that he did allowed Cristiano Ronaldo to play the role that he did. that To develop into that pure goal scorer that we know him as now. Absolutely. So I've got a question for you, which is what was Wayne Rooney's role in 2007-2008? I I don't think that there's a particular position that we can ascribe him to, because I, I think in the Champions League final against Barcelona, he played on the left or something like that. Yeah. And in the Champions League final against Chelsea, he played on the right. So it seems like his his role is to play sort of the number 10-ish behind Ronaldo as he goes forward or alongside Tevez. But get with given the freedom of, you know, an absolute playmaker. And they they've got so much football intelligence between them the three of them as well. Like the the especially Rooney, like Rooney's ability to read where he's meant to be in relation to the other two at that point. Ferguson must have just been like counting his lucky stars that he had Rooney in that team just to yeah. to because so many like even players of the same sort of skill set as Rooney just would not have been able to adapt their game as quickly and effectively as Rooney did and I think that you know just personally because this is this is my generation's you know um, moment was uh, all of us who missed out on the glory of the 90s that this 2008 Champions League win, especially now that, you know, we may not win it again for the foreseeable future, <laughs> but that moment was so special. And that game in particular is a game I regard as one of the greatest Manchester United matches because right. especially that first half, you see this synchronicity between the two of them that well, Wayne Rooney can win the ball back, or I think it was West Brown was playing right back. They win the ball back in one play, passes it to Rooney. And the immediate knowledge between the two of them on opposite sides of the pitch, where Rooney playing out of position even in a sort of right winger role, will look up and realize, if I play this through ball, Ronaldo's on the run already. Yeah. And he plays it across, diagonally across the pitch, almost full length to near Chelsea's corner flag. And Ronaldo immediately knows what Rooney's doing and is on it. And Carlos Tevez even recognizes what's happening and knows to get in position to try and scoop up the rebound. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And and then we sort of, you know, th- this period of time is synonymous with Arsenal, isn't it? United just smashing Arsenal on the counter-attack and Rooney and Ronaldo knowing exactly what the other one is doing yeah. and being able to kind of keep up with each other, both like physically keep up with each other, but especially mentally keep up with each other. They, you know, they were they were an absolute dream partnership and... and Tevez, is, Tevez was great to have around with them, but Tevez wasn't necessary. You could, you know, a number of different people could have done that, but Rooney and Ronaldo were were 
they were something else from another planet really at that time yeah and i i think with tevez and especially when berbatov comes in we see this but tevez's sort of unwillingness to play the role that sir alex wanted him to because he wanted he recognized how good he was and wanted to be starting every game and it, it was sort of like the problem that united had after the treble where they have four incredible strikers but you can only play two at a time and i I think we saw something similar with tevez although the next season after ronaldo left if if tevez had stuck around he would have played a pretty significant role i think yeah it's the signing of berbatov isn't it that's that's the thing that causes the the sort of the the slight ripple Uh, it's a very in his in retrospect a very odd signing and it's kind of similar to van persie in a way in that it was and especially Sanchez, that the primary purpose of that signature was keeping him away from City. But anyway, and Ferguson did love a random, impulsive punt every now and again. Uh, but that's yeah. a story for another time. It's weird that he saved his uh, spending sprees for those random punts, though. <laughs> like, <laughs> Veron and Berbatov were two of his record signings. Veron was not a random punt. You see, this is, you, this, you sound like a young man when you say this. Veron was not a random punt. Veron was uh, a player that he had thought about for a long time and really wanted because of the potential impact he could have had in Europe and this kind of plan to switch to a 4-5-1, really. Um, Veron was Veron was Fergie trying to get ahead of the game, and he just couldn't quite couldn't quite make it work afterwards. But that was that was this was this thing that again I mentioned Michael Cox. Michael Cox talked about Ferguson as an innovator, and the Veron signing was definitely part of the impact of being one of the few um, managers in Britain to have had experience in Europe and a direct kind of first-hand experience of playing against European teams and trying to make United more European so that that was a lot more, it was that was a lot more structured okay I yeah I, I mean I wasn't you know paying full attention to United when that <laughs> went through but I I don't know I in hindsight I see the Keenan Scholes midfield and don't understand what what you needed more for him yeah I mean and and that's that is the answer isn't it he wanted to be he wanted to be more traditionally european because because he recognized that football was changing and that you know keenan in the end keenan skulls worked in europe but really they only properly worked in europe a few times because because like in the mid 90s united would just get overrun in midfield by european teams all the time anyway we're talking about Rooney, and this is already long, so we probably don't need. <laughs> right. And there's a lot more to come, so don't let me so, distract you, Colin. <laughs> so, uh, would you like to move on now to post Cristiano Ronaldo? Um, I'm uh, in your yeah. hands. <laughs> All right. So, those those three years of brilliant football don't last, uh, as we now know. And uh, the 2009 summer did not feature a world class transfer haul. <laughs> Uh, to replace the offensive production lost from Cristiano Ronaldo and Carlos Tevez. And instead, we get number seven, Michael Owen and Gabriel Obertan. And uh, Antonio Valencia, but... like, Oh, yeah, Antonio Valencia. That that picture does the rounds a lot, right, of Ferguson signing them as a kind of mocking thing. But it is worth pointing out that in in the remaining seasons before he retired, I think we won the league uh, three more times... 
and mm-hmm. then came second by one point and on goal difference in the other seasons. And we got yeah. to a Champions League final, although that was definitely a kind of a fluke. Um, but yeah, uh, so Fergie kind of knew what he was doing, even though he should not have signed Michael Owen, Michael Owen just to have someone <laughs> to talk about horses with. Yeah, but that's, uh, I, I guess that's kind of, <laughs> that's a great pivot to the Wayne Rooney conversation of this era because all of a sudden he is, the guy, yeah. um, as we say in America for that team, that he is the driving force of their offense, and he doesn't really shy away from that role. He, he scores 30 in that season, uh, despite not winning the league. Uh, but that that role as sort of a number nine sort of works really well for him individually, but as a team, you see Manchester United struggle a lot more. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it, that the two seasons when he really banged, like the the only two seasons in his whole United career where he scored more than 30 in all competitions, we didn't win the league in either of those seasons. Um, Now, we should have won the league in um, 11-12. You know, everyone knows what happened. But to be fair, we really should have won the league that season. And it's not Rooney's fault we didn't. That uh, Everton game still haunts my nightmares, oh, actually. Oh, God. <laughs> Bloody Maran Fellaini ruined Man United multiple times. <laughs> I, he, do you know what? Like The thing that like, gives me horrible shudders about that Everton game is the Patrice Evra, where Patrice Evra hits the post to make it, I think, 5-2. Um, and that would have been all over at that yeah. point. And then instantly they score and you just think, oh, no, City are going to win the league in the yeah. most brutal way possible. Yeah, a, a game that was brilliant for entertainment, though. <laughs> I mean, absolutely, just from a perspective. sure. Yeah, if you, yeah. yeah, but nobody's into football for that, are they? <laughs> no. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so this 2009-2010 season, I actually think was maybe Rooney at his best. I would maybe say he was the third best player in the world that season before he breaks his foot again, or uh, I don't know if it was a broken foot, but he does something to his foot yeah, and before then... the World Cup because that's a requirement of Rooney in his prime. Before a World Cup, he has to do something to his foot. Fergie also like properly wrecked him by playing him in the second leg against Bayern. Do you remember that in the, yeah, the quarterfinal? The, uh, it, it seemed like a great idea because we went three up in like 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but he was, just, he was just so hurt. You could see... He was just not ready to come back in that game. And I, I've i often wondered... I mean, people have cited that game as uh, genuinely like Rooney before that and after that. That was the injury that, that changed him physically forever. Because the, the the next season when he scored the hat full of goals, um, 11-12, I don't know. I don't feel like he was anywhere near as exciting to watch in that season. 11-12, he just scored a load of headers from Antonio Valencia crosses, right? That was That was those that season yeah he had a quite a few tap-ins and uh he had a couple i think he started taking all the free kicks and penalties for united at that point too yeah um, which helped it a little bit yeah but you're right that 9-10 season that's the last great wayne rooney season uh, as far as i'm concerned i don't think that's particularly uh, controversial that's that's interesting because i actually i i would i make the argument that 2010 2011 is my favorite wayne rooney season really yeah. Okay. So let's hear it. So it begins with the absolute lowest point of his Manchester United career, possibly, you know, but before the, you know, he wasn't a good player anymore. But <laughs> <laughs> at this point, because he's got 
the World Cup hangover of, you know, shouting at the press, England playing awful. He comes back. He's not sure he wants to be at United anymore. Sir Alex Ferguson, in a brilliant move, uh, makes it public knowledge that Wayne Rooney is unhappy and hasn't signed a new contract and has actually asked to leave. And immediately the rumors of the usual suspects come up, Real Madrid, Manchester City. And the fans turn on him pretty quickly because you're not going to take Rooney's side at this point against Sir Alex Ferguson. And he eventually reaches the you know, a, an agreement, he signs the contract, but then he plays some of the worst football or as some of the worst production of his Manchester United career and really starts off the season as though it could be his worst Manchester United season. Yeah. And then in the second half of the season, he only scores, I think, 16 in all competitions. You, if you have the stats in front of me, you can correct that's, me. That's right, yeah. Yeah, and he does most of that haul. I think he scores maybe one penalty in the first half of the season. And then for the second half, it's like he carries Manchester United over the finish line, not just to win their 19th Premier League title, but also to get to the Champions League final and play against Barcelona again. Yeah, he and was he, he was really good in the Champions League final. He scored a he scored a heck of a goal in the Champions League final. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll give him that. And he that's the season with the overhead kick in it as well, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he scored against Chelsea in the quarterfinal. I think at Stamford Bridge in a. A game I don't remember being particularly exciting, but the United kind of pressed early, got a goal, and then sort of held on. I remember it being um, exciting that we won. <laughs> that's what, that's yeah, yeah. what I remember about that game. Yeah. I remember it yeah. being kind of easy, like dreading it beforehand, and then we just sort of walked it. Yeah. And it, it, it wasn't just, I guess, his individual performance, but also that second half we see Dimitar Berbatov fall off after scoring 20 goals. Uh, In two games. Pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And uh, he develops this sort of understanding with Chicharito Hernandez, who ends up having a really exciting season as well. All right. Uh, I, I kind of, yeah, I remember that. I would describe that as like a little, a cameo, you know, a, a cameo of good Wayne Rooney. Probably, possibly <laughs> the last cameo of good Wayne Rooney that lasted more than 20 minutes. Wow. All right. Now we're getting into rant cast now. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is when... This is, I mean, yeah. you know, I, I guess you've talked about the contract stuff at, at some length, so I w- let's not do that now because, you know, there's a lot more to say about the nuance of the roles shifting. Um, yeah. What would you describe his role then in this season? Would you say it's the kind of playing number 10 to Hernandez is like oh, uber traditional number nine? Yeah, it, it definitely, I think they definitely ended the season that way, but he also played a similar role to Berbatov. I just don't think it worked necessarily as well because Berbatov doesn't shoulder the same amount of playmaking burden that other attackers did in that Manchester United team. I do think that we see the, a sort of continuation of Nani's development as well, uh, relevant in his partnership with you know Wayne Rooney and with uh, Chicharito Hernandez. Nani had a brilliant season that year. Yeah. And really seemed to be on a trajectory to greatness, not necessarily Cristiano Ronaldo level, which is the player that a lot of people compared him to pretty unfairly, I think. And a couple of years in, or a couple of years later, Nani would fall off that trajectory. But at the time, it definitely seemed like this was a United team that could be on the up. Absolutely. I mean, I know it's a little bit later, but the the following season, the, the Community Shield performance against City it's one of my favourite United goals of all time 
and with all the kind of interplay and Nanny and Welbeck and Chicharito and um, and Rooney and uh, the the incredibly exciting midfield pivot of Tom Cleverley and Anderson. Um, I'm not being sarcastic. Like that was incredibly exciting for literally five games. Um, <laughs> until until Kevin Davis and Bolton, but yeah, that you're right. There was there was a real there was a real kind of buzz around around a new young United side with Rooney as a sort of um, elder statesman, but el- an elder statesman who could like properly hang with uh, with the young players in terms of movement and interplay and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and I, I would definitely say that go, even going into when Robin Van Persie arrived, I expected you know, this team to still be a team based around Wayne Rooney's ability to contribute and, you know, get the engines turning, you know, at Manchester United and be the really driving force behind their offense. And we see that sort of not become the case anymore, but uh, I guess pivoting into this era with Robin Van Persie's arrival, I think we'd still see, you know, Wayne Rooney be a pretty excellent provider as a partner to Robin Van Persie. Yeah, I mean, that season, like, everyone sort of, downplays Rooney's contribution but he made and and largely I think that's about about number of starts so I think that's the fewest starts he ever made until his last United season um so he started 22 games in the league which for Rooney is like you know hardly any but he got 12 sorry what were you gonna say I think he uh pretty early against Fulham he almost had his artery ruptured in his thigh because uh someone uh, he had charged forward on a free kick or something, and he stuck his stud in Wayne Rooney's leg. I think yeah, he missed like that's two right. or three weeks from that. But still, even missing two or three weeks—that's something he'd done before. And you know, yeah. twenty-two starts is that's that's sixteen games of the season that he's not starting. Um, and uh, but he still got twelve goals and ten assists, which you know, I mean, he he did better than that the following season, but. Every other season after that was would have looked like unbelievable numbers for him. Twelve goals and ten assists in twenty-two Premier League starts is pretty remarkable. Um, and that sort of production from Rooney is fine when you have somebody who gets on the end of those assists and scores thirty goals oh, yeah. the way that Robin Van Persie did too. Abs- absolutely, and and you know uh, Rooney and Van Persie had a brilliant relationship apparently off the pitch too they really got on and you know they certainly had a phenomenal relationship on the pitch and um yeah it's just a shame he wanted to join Chelsea the following summer (laughs) yeah so this is another uh, turning point that I found uh really distasteful for a lot of United fans and their uh opinion of Wayne Rooney is his fallout with Sir Alex Ferguson was very obvious and very public and David Moyes, of all people, uh, gets the Manchester United job and is the one who, I guess, tried to, to convince him to stay. But also, I assume the large number on the paycheck convinced him to stay a little bit. It's such a strange thing. I have so many mixed feelings about this because definitely after um, after 2010-11, I mean, 2010-11 was completely heartbreaking for United fans. Mm-hmm. Heartbreaking. Because... It was City. You say, you know, Real Madrid or City, but the deal that was in place was a deal with City. And everybody knew that the deal that was in place was a deal with City. Now, United fans um, demand endless loyalty that they don't deserve. So 
every game Wayne Rooney has ever played for United, pretty much, um, you Scouse Bastard has been chanted from the stands, not at Rooney, but at someone else. You know, um, the referee, any player that's ever had any connection with Liverpool. You, you know, the, the, the and Rooney's Scouseness is part of the essence of who he is. Like, he's definitely a person who... There's this this great kind of fundamental split in his experience whereby he moved from, you know, so he's he's Evertonian, which is different from being a Liverpool fan in terms of the yeah. relationship with United. But still, he is from Liverpool and the rivalry between Liverpool and Manchester United and Manchester is intense. You know, we're talking, it goes back to the ship canal, right? This is, this that's in the late 1800s. Liverpool was a port city. Manchester built a ship canal so they could also effectively be a port city inland. And and ever since then, there's been this, you know, civic rivalry between these two places. Rooney isn't properly, can't be properly accepted in Liverpool because he's gone to join the old, the arch enemy. And he can never quite be accepted in Manchester because he's a scouser. Like, that's, so... Rooney wanting to leave United. Rooney's the United faithful's kind of demand for endless loyalty. You know, also Rooney knew that endless loyalty was not necessarily repaid by Alex Ferguson. He, you know, David Beckham, Roy Keane, Vanessa to a lesser extent, Yap Stam, people that were lieutenant, but Keane and Beckham in particular absolutely embodied a kind of Ferguson lieutenant quality, and they were both like shipped off when they didn't suit Fergie's purposes anymore. So loyalty is very much a one-way street. Now, I'm speaking as someone who was heartbroken by Rooney trying to join another club, but there's there's something in the, the, the inequality in the relationship, the inequality of expectation, that I actually think Rooney gets a bit of a bad rap for wanting away. Um, and, and in terms of his own career, it's also kind of understandable that he predicted that United were on a downward trajectory. And he wasn't wrong about that, even though we did win the league a lot of times, you know, another two or three times after that mm-hmm. that happened. Anyway, then 2013-14 comes along, and I don't know how much responsibility Rooney really had in that situation. I think there is a reading of that story that just says, well, actually... If you're not going to play me, let me leave. So I don't want to be here if I'm not going to be playing every week. And that is completely reasonable. Now, I think that Moyes made a massive mistake in chucking the, you know, uh, King's ransom at Rooney, even though it was completely understandable that they he did it at the time. In fact, I remember Ed and I having a conversation about it, saying it's probably a necessary evil, but it's going to look like a terrible decision in two or three years' time, and and that that was how it felt really, and that's what it turned out to be as well. Because from here on out, his role is just a complete mess. Yeah, and I, in terms of these contract disputes, one thing about the first one in two thousand ten that I definitely seem to differ on. And I talked about this with Neil on the first episode is that I don't, I didn't actually believe that Rooney had gotten to the point where he had picked the next club he wanted to play for. I just believed that this was a contract dispute that would be settled when they paid him more money. Right. And I, I guess that it turned out 
somewhat that way i was able to defend that theory <laughs> but i I don't, I don't i still don't necessarily believe that he would have gone to another premier league club that easily i think if he was going to leave he probably would have gone to real madrid or no, one the, of the other the, european the deal was in place with city that's that's just just that that's... is that is a confirmed fact i mean listen no. what I, I i cannot sit here and tell you that it is a confirmed fact um in the sense that you know there is oxygen in the air we breathe or whatever um it's not quite science but i i i it is certainly my understanding that that is the case okay well we we don't have to get into the conversation about what news nowadays is <laughs> but the the second time when he wants to go to chelsea i uh, this was much more real and more believable to me uh that because Jose Mourinho had never shied away from his interest in Wayne Rooney and acquiring him, uh, particularly when he was at Real Madrid in 2010, um, and it seemed like I would have to <laughs> I would have to watch my favorite player go to Chelsea as David Moyes took over Manchester. <laughs> that's that's like, rough. It, yeah. So yeah, this was not a great moment for me, <laughs> but the, the the fact that he did stay and as you said, his role would never be quite as valuable to the club's overall success as it was wow, in that's, previous seasons. That you are really are a Rooney fan, Colin. <laughs> <laughs> I mean so he, that's a very gentle way to describe what happened over the next five years. I mean, he had a good season that year though, like individually. No, he yeah. didn't. He scored <laughs> yeah, he, he scored seventeen goals, but he was not that good in that season. It looks in retrospect like an amazing season, but I I mean he just ran around a lot and uh, he was just not good. That's, he just was not that good that season. Well, all right. So looking at the games that he did score goals in, from my perspective at least, he seemed like the only player at Manchester United capable of being a, any sort of driving force in the directionless tactics that David Moyes had instilled. Sure, that's, that's fair. I remember, I think, Hull City and Stoke City in particular, that, you know, teams we should normally beat that we've just struggled against, which would become a recurring trend in the poster Alex Ferguson era. <laughs> but this, I, I'm pretty sure that Stoke or Hull City, one of those teams, go 2 0 up at Old Trafford. And this was the part of the season where we just realized that what mistake United had made listening to the recommendation for david moyes but rooney comes on in the second half and i'm pretty sure they come back and win three two at old trafford and rooney scores one and i think chicharito scores the other two and it just like for a brief second it's like okay i that that is the wayne rooney we're supposed to see week in and week out yeah of course we didn't see him week that wayne rooney week in and week out anymore i mean listen i will give you that he had the odd good half of football i'm not saying he didn't have a good half of football here and there i'm saying 17 goals and 10 assists looks amazing on paper especially given the context but yeesh there was that there was a lot of headless chicken from rooney understandably like very frustrating situation for him no doubt but the the thing i n- without question the thing that taints my feelings about Rooney's season was the way Moyes talked about him which was so annoying like easily in the top 5 most annoying david moyes qualities and that is there's some stiff competition for that but just i remember when um when Juan Mata scored a free kick and um uh jay 
who's now at Full Time Devils at RFFH on Twitter, uh, tweeted, Moyes is going to praise Rooney for that. And in the post-match, Moyes said, him and Wayne have been working on that. I was just like, wow! <laughs> next level. Absolutely next level. Yeah, but I I mean, the David Moyes, that, that's not something that's necessarily in Wayne Rooney's control, I guess. Sure, it's not. I, But yeah, that's the, uh, the, <laughs> maybe that's just the difference in opinion because I maybe wasn't willing to let go of the Wayne Rooney that I had known my entire life up to that point. Yeah, and I, I would say that the truth probably lies somewhere in between. You probably had a better season than I remember and not quite as good a season as you remember, Colin. That would be my guess. I, he definitely provided some memorable moments from post-Sir Alex Ferguson years that are when people will you know make their YouTube clips of his top 10 goals. I think those would definitely be a part of it. Uh, the West Ham one, uh, but also... Uh, a couple under Van Gaal, like the one against Tottenham, where you just ran through Vertonghen and Alderweireld, or whoever was there at the time, maybe not Alderweireld. But, uh, and, and then his volley against Hull City that season, too. It's like these brief glimpses of his ability, yeah. but the overall structure of the team was not there to use it properly, nah, I guess. No, like, I'm not having that. I mean, you're right. The overall structure of the team wasn't there. But also, he was shot to pieces like he he had the capacity for greatness every now and again i mean my favorite post fergie rooney moment was the fa cup final where he like that was it the equalizer when, yeah when he runs through the entire team and then yeah. sets it up for fellaini to knock it down that, for uh matter yeah. that, that was absolutely amazing and that was rooney taking a crucial game by the scruff of the neck and i was so happy for him personally, like him and Michael Carrick, that FA Cup win was just, you know, that was the one they didn't have and they lifted the trophy together. And that was, you know, that's Rooney as captain being kind of, you know, giving as well, which was, which was really nice. Um, And that's also an instant where (laughs) the, what, what he did was able to kind of cancel out the memory of the 80 minutes prior when nothing was going on. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. and, and But, you know, I, I was there. I was lucky enough to be there at that game and just the electricity as he burst forward. You know, again, like, that's something I can I can see in my mind's eye that just and, and feel the feeling around the place of, oh my God, Wayne Rooney's making something happen. And obviously a lot of pieces have to fall into place after that. But it's almost like, both in real time and in retrospect, it's as soon as he picks up the ball and bursts that we're about to win the FA Cup. It's a very strange thing, that the the, the shift in momentum and, and the the change in the direction of a lot of moving parts that is put into motion by one person's actions. And he definitely still had that in him, but he was garbage for most of his, and it's not to do with the team and it's not to do with the structure of the team. In fact, he was a massive problem with the structure of the team. Like he just should not have been in the side. United would have been better off if he had just not been around still at that point because he was too much of a distraction he was there was too much like oh well, he should be playing at number 10 oh he's played at number 10 now he's rubbish oh he should be playing at number nine. Oh, he can't actually move anymore so he's not an effective number nine anymore like he should have been in mls and that's 
I don't mean that nastily. I mean it because he would have... It's great that he stayed long enough to win the FA Cup. That's brilliant. But I just want Wayne Rooney to be happy. Do you know what I mean? Like, he, he doesn't... And he was... There's no way he could be happy being way less than himself in the United side. And the problem wasn't the structure around him. It was as much about what he was doing to the structure around him. Like, you know, Van Hal said he was recently said, unfortunately, you know, by the time I had Rooney, he was past it. And it's absolutely accurate. And I kind of want to say to Van Hal, well, why don't you keep playing him then, you big maniac? But, you know... Uh, so, so what is your label of past it, I guess, for Wayne Rooney? Do you mean what's the turning point? Yeah, when do you think that he is no longer a player worthy of playing, starting every game for Manchester United? I mean, minimum, the beginning of fifteen sixteen. Like, uh, okay. sorry, so, uh, yeah, yeah, fifteen sixteen. So, minimum, the first Van Hal season. Yeah, that that's uh, oh no, 14, oh, 14, 14, 14, yeah, 14, 15, yeah, minimum, okay. minimum 14, 15, beginning. I was gonna say, mine is actually like around the middle point of 15, 16 was where I kind of, I guess, finally accepted it. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I feel like uh, I feel like that's definitely about finally accepting it rather than what was actually happening. <laughs> yeah, the uh, I think the knee injury in 2016 where they kept him out for three months when he came back from that, I was like, yeah, he's definitely not going to be able because at that point he already wasn't as fast or as active as he used to be but after that knee injury he just couldn't anymore Um, but i mean that is like that is real kind of um homer and bart finally accepting that the hog roast is gone you know it's been gone a long time it's just a little day it's still good he's just a little only good in midfield now he's he's just a little good one in every five games now it's still good it's still good it's like you'll go you know a bunch of nil nils and then all of a sudden he'll volley in that one in front of the cop in liverpool and you know yes brilliant wayne rooney moment and then another couple nil nils and then he'll have the brilliant performance against newcastle but we'll still draw or whatever and and And, you know it was like he always um, this is this is absolute rank cast cliche right but Rooney was always a player who had purple patches, but his purple patches used to last three months and they started to last 30 minutes, you know, or three, like, let's be generous and say three games. And all his goals in those periods of time come in bursts. Yeah, and he sort of had a reputation as somebody who scored in streaks, but it was a point where there, the the time between the streaks was longer and the streaks didn't last as long. Exactly. Yeah, and <laughs> we talked about this uh, with one of my co-writers uh, or co-workers at the Busby Babe, uh, Nathan Heinschel. We were talking about this fifteen sixteen season, and in retrospect, every top six manager should have lost their job after that season. <laughs> <laughs> the I mean, Arsenal and Tottenham pushed Leicester the closest, but Leicester City win the league on eighty one points, and not to take anything away from that incredible achievement, because that that I think is one of the greatest achievements in sports i guess underdog stories is leicester city winning the premier league title oh yeah but you have these multi-billion dollar worth clubs you know with players like i mean tottenham that year had harry kane was that was his second i guess consecutive season of scoring at least 25 goals and even arsenal at that point alexis sanchez and Giroud were playing really well together and ozil was getting all these assists and Manchester City still had Aguero and Toure and David Silva. It's like 
nobody <laughs> nobody was good enough to beat this Leicester City side. Oh, yeah, the only the only one that I would let keep their job would have been Pochettino because he was yeah, yeah, building towards you know, something. But you're right, everyone else, absolutely. Yeah. And I think everyone else did lose. <laughs> yeah. Except Arsene, Arsene Wenger stuck around for a couple more years. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. But that was kind of effectively the real beginning. I mean, the beginning of the end for Arsene Wenger was actually a long time before in <laughs> retrospect. But this was like really the beginning of it. No, this is actually now going to end. Um, this was when all of the Arsenal equi- Arsenal fan equivalents of me towards Wayne Rooney, all <laughs> towards Arsene Wenger, began to realise, oh no, I don't think he's got it anymore. You know, this is a fascinating period of time in terms of what you're talking about, like specifically what we were trying to talk about today, although I, I'm sorry, yeah, we, it's a bit yeah more wide-ranging but but in terms of his role in the team you know this is this is a time where he is he is hung out to dry by not having a clear role but it is understandable that the manager does what he does so he plays him as Van Gaal plays him in midfield quite a lot I think he was good there once against Newcastle around Christmas time um, mm-hmm. in the first season. And basically the rest of the time, he wasn't much good. Van Gaal's only really good period um, comes without Rooney. Um, or maybe he played centre forward in one of those games, but actually he was part of not that great. But, you know, so he's played at number t- like overtly at number 10 in this awful slow-paced, one-paced attack. But he's a big part of why it's one-paced, as well as the sort of instructions. Um, He played at a number nine for a bit, and that was sort of a bit more effective. But really, he was effectively a false nine. Like, in in the sense that really the only thing he was able to do at number nine was create space and opportunity for other people. Because he couldn't actually be the kind of the, the tip of the spear anymore in an effective manner. Um, he definitely played in what the role that Van Hal would call number eight, you know, as the more attacking midfielder, and 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 none of it really worked. And there was a lot of people saying, oh, he should be a quarterback type holding midfielder because he's so good at the diagonal passes. But the diagonal passes became a cliche, like they were so slow and ineffective. And you know, he would hit these long diagonals, and then every the defenders would be able to be completely in their shape by the time the ball came down. You know. Um, he still had the accuracy, but he didn't have the, the penetration. And, and it was sort of looking for a, a place to fit him, but he just didn't fit anywhere. Like his only really effective role in that time would have been a sort of squad leadership role where he came off the bench sometimes and he'd play half the amount of games that he played or something like that. He might have been able to be more effective in that in that way, but you can't pay someone 300 grand a, a week to do that, can you? Yeah, and I think we also need to mention that at this point, he's been handed the captain's armband, so he's expected to be that sort of squad leader. And it's sort of interesting, having experienced the entirety of Wayne Rooney's career, that at some point he would be the captain of both his club and country. It seems like that's sort of what would be expected of him, but given some of his reputations, that's not necessarily something you would believe. But he's appear he i guess gave the appearance of maturity a little bit in his older years but he i i still don't know if he if that was sort of another move to maybe you know appease Rooney and keep him there uh, making him sort of the squad leader under David Moyes and then he was given the captain's armband by Louis van Gaal the next season yeah i mean you know Moyes set a lot of this into motion didn't he by by kind of 
putting all the chips for putting all the club's chips on Rooney. And ultimately, my answer to the question of like when when was he no longer functional is actually the end of the twelve thirteen season. Like that was the time. Wow. That was the time to cut bait with Rooney. Like the the, the mo- there have been moments since then, but there's never been consistency since then. And you know, it it I would have been completely fine. I mean. Not really completely fine with him going to Chelsea, but I don't think he would have done very well at Chelsea. I think he'd have been an albatross around Chelsea's neck instead. Maybe he would have had reasonable production that first season, but you know, f- he would have had Hazard to do all the running for him. Um, but yeah, but he, you know, th- that that's true. That that is true, absolutely. Um, but you know, United had had some creative and interesting talent around him at that time too. But anyway, um, the the role question. You know, for me, like, there's no doubt that my favourite Wayne Rooney is 2007 Wayne Rooney. You know, that that's, that, the, the, from 06 to 09, that, that's my, my favourite Rooney era. Yours is a bit later, it sounds like. Yeah, the, uh, sort of the 2009, 2010, I, and 2010, 11, 11, 12, I, I love the goal scoring Rooney, but I think, in terms of most useful, it's definitely 06 through 09. Yeah. And it's it's interesting, too, looking at that era of Wayne Rooney and then the last few years at Manchester United when under Moyes, Van Gaal, and even Jose Mourinho, it seemed like he had more of a set position with those roles and responsibilities to that position. But it was the freedom that he had under Sir Alex Ferguson in that role that he produced more and obviously he had the ability to do so physically and you know mentally but it it wasn't really a set position that he had in that role that he played for Sir Alex Ferguson's teams no I mean you know this is the old the oldest question about Rooney in the book is is whether he fulfilled his potential or not and and you know there are there are two light is both a particle and a wave and Rooney both did and did not fulfill his potential you know, in terms of trophies, in terms of output, in terms of longevity, in terms of, you know, being his club and country's greatest, like most prolific, not prolific, but highest ever goal scorers. You know, these are absolutely remarkable records. And you have to say that's that is potential achieved. But there's nobody that can tell me from a qualitative position we expected Rooney's career to go the direction it did after about 2010. 2010 2011 and and it's not his fault that like life is hard and football's hard and maybe if he'd had the same work ethic that Ronaldo had um he could have had a different sort of career but um nobody should be expected to have the same ethic that uh, Ronaldo had it's we're a product of our circumstances and our surroundings and, you know, we're affected in different ways by the experiences that we have as young people and that shapes us in different directions. And Ronaldo, you know, um, it might well be that it turns out that Wayne Rooney is a much better human than Cristiano Ronaldo, for example. Um, and, you know, the dysfunction... There's a whole big topic to have here that, in a way you know fulfilling your sporting potential is not what life is about is it um it's a much yeah. it's a much broader and more complicated thing not that Rooney hasn't had his fair share of personal issues but you know it's a it's a big complex mesh being human isn't it and for certain nobody can take away the unbelievable level of achievement that that Rooney had 
yeah, uh, Gaz Drinkwater, when he was on this podcast a few episodes ago, said, and when answering the final question, which we'll get to, uh, we'll get to the questions next after this, I guess, as uh, we, we've ran a bit long already. <laughs> um, but Gaz said that in defining Rooney's legacy, one thing you can never take away from him is the fact that he is Manchester United's all-time leading goal scorer. Absolutely. That's, and, you know, regardless of the way that he got there, he did get there. And yeah, that's all, that's always going to be something as used as sort of a defense uh, of his legacy. But I think, you know, the body of work is there, particularly in his earlier years that I, I guess backs up that legend status for him. Yeah, absolutely. And all the caveats also apply, you know, and that's fine. Light is both yeah. a particle and a wave depending on the circumstances anyway let's get to the questions because yeah yeah, i I simply can't talk much longer (laughs) uh so first off uh paul what is your favorite rooney moment it's a toss-up it's a toss-up that i'm gonna pick two actually one is the new that i've talked about both of them one of the newcastle goal and then they sort of they, they nicely kind of punctuate the discussion that we've had one is the Newcastle goal, like being there, seeing it live, watching it back so many times. It's one of the best goals in history. And the other one is him picking up the ball and rolling back the years in the FA Cup final. Yeah. Um, this, this next one is something you answered uh, the last time you appeared on this podcast, but uh, who is your footballing hero and why? I mean, <laughs> bonjour, je m'appelle Paul. My, my mum is French and I'm a Man United fan. Uh, I mean, it's, it's Eric Cantona because um, he completely transformed Manchester United. But I actually have a lot. like, And, and uh, one of the things that I think about a lot in terms of footballing heroes is being comfortable with ambivalence because there are things about Eric Cantona I don't like. Eric Cantona loves hunting. I'm a, a pretty hardcore vegetarian. Like, that's, a, yep. that's a, a very simple example. But I find some aspects of Roy Keane absolutely inspirational. I find lots of aspects of Alex Ferguson um, inspirational. In fact, the older I get, the more it becomes Ferguson because of his adaptability and uh, longevity, and the more incredible that becomes. But just for visceral impact and uh, glamour and, um, you know, Herodom at a time when Herodom was much less complicated for me. It's Eric Cantona. Yeah, I, that I feel like that's the biggest factor in it, though, is when it's less complicated. You know, when you're still, for me, when I was still a child, basically, when Wayne Rooney emerged as this Manchester United player, and you know, went off on this incredible run with that team. It, I, that's just forever going to be in my memory. You know, that I was so. Uh, obsessed with that team at that point but you know but, i I, yeah. I i think it's actually healthy to more and more and more embrace the complexity of it because the complexity yeah. is closer to reality this is a conversation that neil and i had a lot when we talked about you know on on his podcast about ferguson and Keane. you know ambivalence gray area all of these things they're not a counteraction to hero them because everyone is complicated and mixed and the kind of pure hero worship of childhood is an illusion it's like you know most people as children think that their parents are basically flawless um not 
because of their parents' actual actions, but because we're sort of wired to think that. And then over time, you realise, actually, these are just flawed humans trying to get by like the rest of us, who did some stuff right and some stuff not right. And ultimately, our sporting heroes of childhood fall into the same category. Eric Cantona is not a superhuman. He's a kind of interesting man and a fantastic footballer. That's okay. But... Uh, also, the application of that complexity to the context of football herodom makes their achievements almost that much greater. Oh, I absolutely, absolutely. Eric Cantona is not the legend that he is unless he goes through what he did with the Crystal Palace incident. You know, and the, I, the, I don't, suspension. I don't think that's true. I mean, I think it changes and and deepens his legend in some way. But before that happened, he was on the path to having a statue outside Old Trafford at some point. Yeah, yeah. You know, so. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, final question. Uh, What do you think Wayne Rooney's Manchester United legacy will be? I think that eventually it will just be what you were saying, that, as Gaz had said, it will just be that he's United's top scorer ever because it's going to be at least, you know... uh, Well, I, I suspect it's going to be two or three generations before that changes unless something happens to Marcus Rashford that we're not expecting in terms of career development Um, so I think it will just be that what I think it should be is an object lesson in how um, the the intersections of personal frailties football hero-ness and commerce should make us be a lot more aware and um, reluctant to imbue footballers and especially fo- like footballers at the elite level with a simple heroic status. Because I think if you're not looking at Rooney's career and not thinking about the impact of, you know, money and stuff on the Premier League, because, mm-hmm. you know, he really is part of the generation where it really went, you know absolutely bananas in terms of the inflation um and that that changed the way he you know, was at the club for a long time and a lot of that was a lot after his utility had passed and a lot of that was because of financial decisions and so i think ultimately what his legacy should be is a like is an object lesson in complexity cultural complexity in terms of relationships between Liverpool and Manchester and all of that stuff. Um, The complexity of what it meant to be, you know, a post-Fergie era United player, the complexity of what commercial stuff does, all of these kinds of things. That's what it actually should be. But what it will be is just, he was at United for a long time, scored lots of goals and therefore became a legend. That made me think of... Uh, Sir Bobby a little bit not necessarily that Wayne Rooney's lived up to that status as because I I personally think that the story of Sir Bobby Charlton and rebuilding the team after the Munich air disaster is maybe the greatest story of Manchester United but that now he's almost just remembered as a name on a record sheet that I, I don't think it's fully grasped some of the great footballing moments that were produced. And I'm, I don't know that, that, that sort of made me think of Wayne Rooney's moments being lost <laughs> in 
lost in time like tears and rain every everything gets lost in time like tears in the rain colin that's football football is is both weirdly permanent and profoundly ephemeral yeah wow and a, a part of it is also definitely the the worry that manchester united will not be as good <laughs> again. well that's happened yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that's we are we are living in that reality we don't have to worry about it anymore that is what has happened we wow. have in fact done at Liverpool as as we hoped we would not well in 20 years we'll get a really enthusiastic German then and uh, <laughs> turn things turn things around absolutely it's it is all cyclical yeah. and and you know United will be a profound force in English football again there's no doubt about that but I, I suspect it's going to yeah. be a little while well, Paul, thank you so much for joining me. I'm so sorry we kept you long. Uh, no, no, you. <laughs> yeah. you you can't possibly apologize to me for my capacity to ramble at insane length <laughs> about anything you put in front of me. Thank you uh, very much for having me, Colin. Uh, perhaps, Paul, you could make a sort of career out of this, this sort of, I, I guess, ranting would be. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to think it's, I've always felt that our podcast was profoundly misnamed. The yeah. really, really, the only reason Rant is in the title is literally because of Ed, because he started the website um, to literally rant about United, and now we've kind of been lumbered with this name. But I'd like, I like to think it's you know, it's thoughtful, insightful analysis. You cast <laughs> yeah. there. I, I don't know. There are definitely some uh, justifiable rant moments. Uh, <laughs> uh, that- I can remember a couple about uh, Jose <laughs> Mourinho in oh, well, particular. Yes, but, yeah. absolutely. Uh, but, you know, that's a whole other conversation. Paul, thank you so much for joining. And uh, listeners, be sure to check out the United Rant cast and uh, unitedrant.co.uk or .com. Uh, I think it's .co.uk. Okay. Yeah, but uh, check out Paul's work there and Paul and Ed's podcast. And you can subscribe, subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And, absolutely. Um if you want, you can back them on Patreon too. Uh, that's true. Yeah, absolutely. But you should probably listen first. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Make up your mind, and then yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Colin. It's been great fun.